0: Come into God's presence with thanksgiving, enter God's courts with praise. Let us worship the Lord our God.
1: Is in it, the world and those who live in it, for God has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Those who, 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 the who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not live up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. They will god we trust totally in you as we trust in no other you are the creator of all things and our life depends on you moment by moment you give us breath and we respond with songs of praise and hymns of adoration you give us truth and we teach others your word and try to model your ways You give us eternal life, and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, with all who will listen. You fill us with your Holy Spirit, and we love others as you have loved us. You call us your friends, and we seek to be friends with the friendless. In all things, we completely depend on you, who we offer all of our lives and all of our thanksgiving.
0: You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those of us gathered here in the sanctuary and also everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to gather together in the name of the Lord. And because it is in God's name that we have gathered, that means that everyone here is welcome. There are no qualifying words whatsoever attached to that word of welcome because it is Christ's welcome and Christ welcomes all We would be so glad if everyone would join us for a brief time of fellowship at the conclusion of this service in Old Buttonwood Hall. That's out this door to my right and down a very short ramp. There you will find our deacons have prepared some light refreshments and most importantly the opportunity for us to speak with one another and to engage with one another in our common life together. We'd also be very pleased if everyone, members and guests alike, would kindly sign the Friendship Pad. You'll find that on your pew, and please sign it even if you are the only person on your pew, because that is our means of contact tracing in the event that we, we would need to notify you about anything. Uh, sign it, send it down the pew and back again, and then we'll have the advantage of each other's names at the conclusion of this service that we, as we speak to one another. Allow me to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for upcoming things. The first is one upcoming today. It's one of our 20s and 30s brunches. So if you are a a TNT, a 20 or a 30, and you'd like to go to brunch after worship today, please find Annie LeCloose. She will be in the narthex generally. And Annie would love to include you in heading over to have brunch following the worship service today. I'd also like to highlight that one of our pre-pandemic Instant Traditions is returning now that we are in a place where we can do it, which is our annual Hymn Sing Sunday, which will be July 31st. You will have a hymn sing in lieu of the sermon on that Sunday, and of course we will serve ice cream sundays afterwards, as one does. So with that noted, Andrew has said, if you want something that's not in the hymnal, please request it that we may provide a sheet with those hymns on it for those who may not otherwise know them by heart. You might know it by heart, but everybody else might not, so please do let us know that song so that we can include it on a hymn sheet. He did ask me to remind you, that does not guarantee you will be called on on that day to provide a hymn, but it, it gives us a head start so we can make sure that um, that we, give as many people the opportunity to sing their favorite hymns as we can on that day. And we do exclude, of course, Christmas carols and those things, simply because we want to get to the the heart of of our ordinary time hymn singing. So you may think of this as Stump the Organist, if you can, and otherwise we will look forward to singing together and enjoying Ice Cream Sundays on July 31st. So uh, you can email those requests to Andrew directly through the church website. With all these things noted, let us continue our worship now, with our confession of sin.
1: Knowing that we worship a God who longs to be in relationship with us, we know that that means bringing all of ourselves before God, including the things we may not be proud of, and the times when we have messed up. So let us turn to a God who is loving and just in confession, first together, and then in a time of silence. Holy God, you have given us the freedom to choose your way. You have told us what is good. Your law has revealed the difference between right and wrong. And yet we confess that too often we fail to do what is good and right, afraid to be seen as moralistic. We do not say what needs to be said. Afraid of being ineffective, we do not dare to do what needs to be done. Forgive us, we pray, and in your abundant mercy, recall us to your ways. Remind us again that you have made us for good. We do these things in the name of Jesus Christ. we are a radically renewed community. Thanks be it to God. Old things are done away with. All things become new. We are agents of grace and reconciliation. With every step or stumble, Christ will be with us. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Colossians, in the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be strong with all the strength that comes from God's glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The Lord has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our second reading comes from Luke's Gospel in the 10th chapter, starting with the 25th verse. Just then, a teacher stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise.
0: the final lesson is taken from the book of the prophet Amos, reading in the 7th chapter, beginning at the 7th verse and continuing through the 17th, continue to listen for the word of God. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, flee away to the land of Judah, "'Earn your bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, "'for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the temple of the kingdom.' "'Then Amos answered Amaziah, "'I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. "'And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, "'Go and prophesy to my people Israel.' Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord Your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be parceled out by line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away. From its land. This is the word of the Lord. Almighty God, grant that we shall stand under your word until we come to understand it. And to that end may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You all know by now how much I enjoy escapist murder mysteries. Nothing too gruesome, mind you, just the cozies. You know, the sort where you wouldn't even know there had been a murder if it weren't for the presence of that pesky body. One of my favorites is the Bruno Chief of Police series. Bruno is a character you will want to love. A village policeman in the south of France, he believes deeply that the best way to do his job is to know the people around him, and so he is the coach for the children's leagues in rugby and tennis. He charms his peers by being a gourmet chef, and word to the wise, don't read this series when you are hungry or you will run to park to find a truffle omelet local wine always flows freely in Bruno's house, and through his friendships, he devotes himself to keeping the peace in Saint-Denis. His is a complex morality, though, because on the one hand, it is clearly his job to enforce the law, and on the other hand, he is rather prone to turn a blind eye to EU regulations on food safety in the interests of good food, and he addresses non-violent offenses by adolescents by talking with their parents rather than with the prosecutor. It is an idyllic village life with a devoted peace officer who cooks, savors wine, and scrimmages with equal ease. Who wouldn't want to escape to the French countryside? Now Bruno's logic works, at least in fiction, because it is based on a finely tuned sense of right and wrong. But isn't reality much harder? In reality, communities do not so easily spill their secrets the police officer. In reality, violence and its aftermath cannot simply be forgotten by turning the page or buying the next novel in the series. Knowing the difference between right and wrong is the foundation of a moral outlook on life. And I don't mean that in any sort of finger-wagging, sanctimonious sort of way. I mean that if we don't have a clear sense of right and wrong, we live without morals. Actions may reliably be followed with consequences, such as they are in the kingdom, animal kingdom, but they are without meaning. The slowest gazelle is the cheetah's dinner, but it's neither good nor bad. Tough luck for the gazelle, but that's life in the state of nature. But that isn't the way we are. We do know the difference between right and wrong. Indeed, that is the bedrock of the creation narrative, that humans come to the knowledge of good and evil, and with that knowledge become morally responsible beings. We do know that there is a difference between right and wrong. We just don't always act like we know. Such was the case for the people to whom Amos was sent. Now I find it, frankly, a bit convenient to treat the Israelites in the years prior to the Babylonian captivity as being morally bankrupt because then we won't see the ways that their lives are like our lives. Amos is one of the earliest recorded prophets, well before the exile. And his indictment of the community is typical of what we find in the Minor Prophets. The community is not functioning right. It is breaking down. It is not working the way God intended. God intended for the Israelites as God's people to function as a sort of moral guide in the world, as a means of making the nature of God known. Now remember, God called God's people into being by a saving act, rescuing them from enslavement in Egypt, and then God gave them a code of conduct that is based upon community and mutuality. By living in a harmonious, peaceful community full of the shalom of God, the pagans, and that just means everyone who's not Jewish in this context, the pagans around them would see an alternative to idolatry, and a life lived solely for the self. It's a big calling, but it's a pretty straightforward one. And this life is marked by rules that perhaps mean very little to us today, but defined the nature of the community then. For instance, farmers couldn't take their whole crop. They were required to leave some around the edges for the poor. Laborers, no matter where they were from, couldn't be worked seven days a week. They, too, were entitled to rest. And there are plenty more where that came from, roughly 611 more, but foundationally it was a way of life that understood what was good, And what was bad? That's a great idea, but in reality, it didn't really work out that way. And so Amos was called to bring God's people a word from the Lord. Now, I do not assume for a minute that everyone was all bad. I'm reminded of a bit of conversation recounted between two church people once, repeating a juicy bit of gossip on the street. Did you hear about Harry, the one asked. He embezzled half a million dollars from his company. The other replied, I never did trust Harry. The first went on. Not only that, but he skipped town and Tom's wife ran off with him. That's terrible. I always knew he was a 'er ne'er-do-well. And not only that, he stole Dick's car to make the getaway second mused, that's scandalous. I always thought Harry had a bad streak in him, and there's more. They say he was falling down drunk when he careened out of town. The other man replied, that's awful. Harry is no good, but what really bothers me is who in the world is going to teach his Sunday school class this week? Now, we all know that nobody is purely good. And nobody is purely bad. And we also know there is a difference between right and wrong. The Israelites did too. They, they knew that too. So therefore Amos, an early prophet, comes with the word of the Lord for them. God uses the image of a plumb line. Now do you all know what a plumb line is? It's nothing more than a piece of string or twine with a weight tied at one end. And if you hang a plumb line from the highest part of any wall, it will invariably show the straight path down because gravity doesn't lie. The weight holds the line taut and shows whether the top and everything in between are holding together. And if they aren't, there's a problem. If the foundation and the pinnacle are out of whack, the whole thing is liable to come down. Here's what one scholar says about that. Amos sees the Lord standing by the wall with a plumb line like a construction foreman, and checking to see if the world measures up to acceptable standards. Now the meaning of the vision is not so obvious. When the Lord asks Amos what he sees, the prophet answers, Upon what The Lord is checking my people, Israel, to see whether they measure up. And the obvious answer is that they do not. If a wall is out of plumb, it cannot do the job for which it is designed, just as a foreman must give the order to destroy such a structure. So the Lord now announces the destruction of Israel. Does that sound harsh? God's judgment always sounds harsh if we consider it apart from God's saving activity. God's relationship with God's people started with a saving action and throughout its history continues with saving, redemptive activity, including when in Jesus Christ, We are joined into this story and into God's people. So yes, there is always grace and mercy where God is concerned. But let's make no mistake about it. Judgment looks harsh because good can't be bad and bad can't be good. They aren't the same thing. It is confusion about this that leaves us morally out of plumb. Humans need a moral plumb line. In my early years of ministry, I would not have said that so plainly. I was worried about the very per- the re- perceived judgmentalism of the church, and it was real, and using language such as moral authority sounded, well frankly, arrogant to me. When I was preaching in those days, it was all grace all the time. And God's grace is real, and it is complete, and it is durable. But if we don't want our lives to be a waste of time, if we want to be up to something good, We need a moral plumb line. We can't just wallow in grace. That is spiritual junk food. We have to grow up. We have to become, in Paul's words, spiritually mature. Now, when we hear two public figures presenting things as fact that are diametrically opposed Both can be false, but both cannot be true, because truth is a moral plumb line. When a group of people are singled out by laws consistently due to sexuality or gender expression until such a time as violence finally erupts, we need to remember that equality is a moral plumb line. When the words race and killing appear together over, and over, and over, and over, they are related, and justice is a moral plumb line. And when we see pervasive violence, particularly gun violence, being exhibited to deadly results day in... And day out, when a week doesn't pass without a mass shooting in this country, we cannot claim that we are not a violent culture and that by action and inaction we do not participate in it because nonviolence is a moral plumb line. Now, I understand that all of this can be dismissed with the click of a switch, But once we've turned off our television sets and tuned out the worst of AM radio and sanitized our social media news feeds, do you know what we're left with? We are left with ourselves and with our need to live faithfully as God's people. Nowhere is that more evident than in Jesus' well-known, well-worn parable of the distressed traveler, Folks who have never darkened the doors of a church know about the good Samaritan, which, by the way, is a bit of a racial slur. It implies the Samaritan was a credit to his race. In this story, Jesus puts out a moral plumb line, and it is based on the biblical Old Testament value of hospitality. Twice, as he tells the story, he shows us the wrong thing to do. So as not to mince words, twice Jesus shows us the bad thing to do. Because bad can't be good, and good can't be bad. They aren't the same thing. And then Jesus shows us the good thing to do. The right thing to do. The Samaritan cares for the man. It's that simple. He cares for him. It's simple. He gives from his substance to attend to the man's care. It's simple. He promises to come back and to continue to care. Now, I'm not one for pat Christian answers. I know there are a lot of gray areas in life but I am suggesting that perhaps we don't throw gray where the answers need to be clear. Problems and their solutions are sometimes global, but not always. Frequently, they are as local as the person right in front of you. And they can't always be somebody else's responsibility. To live God's way, we need a moral plumb line, and Jesus has given it to us because comfort without challenge is not consistent with the call of Jesus Christ to take up our crosses and to follow him. But that's really not all that different from what God has been saying since literally day one. Faith is always a call to a way of life that is set aside, that has purpose, that honors the God who creates life. It is a call to the knowledge that there is always enough to go around if we will let it. The plumb line of faith is simple human kindness. The call is real, the needs are urgent, and the alternative is bleak. And it's a big job, and one that I know I spend a lot of time preaching about. And maybe we sometimes wonder if what we're doing really makes any difference. But as a colleague of mine reminded me this week, for the person in the ditch it does, So if the line is plumb, if our actions are good, if our motive is love, we can start with that. And indeed, that is what this table is all about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you.
1: proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. Remembering that all we have and all that we are, our treasures, our prayers, the fullness of our lives, is a gift from God. Entrusted to our care for only a season, let us worship God as we make our offerings.
0: God, from the abundance of your creation, you grant that we may take all that we need, indeed that we may even take more. And so from that abundance, we return this portion, asking once more that you would bless it and use it, that we might be blessed as we see your kingdom at work among us. Through Christ our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the Lord. Scripture teaches that people will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table with our risen Savior who is even now the unseen host. And that is simply a way of saying that at this table there is a a place set for absolutely everyone. We read from the pages of Scripture that it was at table when the disciples first recognized their risen Lord, as he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. Even still, it is to this table that Christ's disciples are invited to come and to know him. He calls all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens to come, and he will give them rest. Friends, this is not a Presbyterian table. It does not even belong to the church. It belongs to none but our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls all, who calls you. Let us pray.
1: The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God.
0: It is right to give you thanks and praise.
1: It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, eternal and triune God, whom we worship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ, you spoke the word that brought the world into being. By the Holy Spirit, you brought order out of chaos and breathed life into your creatures. In parental love, you stood by us in spite of our disobedience, correcting us with gracious reproof and welcoming us again into your loving embrace. Therefore, we praise you joining our voices with choirs of angels and with all the faithful in every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name.
0: Holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Born of Mary, he came to dwell among us full of grace and truth. To all who believed, he gave power to become your children. In ministry among your own, Jesus cared for all, forgiving their failures, healing their hurts, and nurturing their faith, giving himself an utter sacrifice for those he loved. He inspired ordinary folk to live spirit-filled lives, and displayed in his life, death and rising again, the power of your spirit. So remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ Christ is risen, Christ Christ will come again.
1: Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place, As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Nurture us at this table, O God, that we may grow to the stature of Jesus Christ. Help us to love you above all else and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, demonstrating that love in deed and word toward all your children. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory. And we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Hear these prayers along with the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Are the
0: gifts of God for the people of God. Let Let us keep keep the the feast. My goodness. Words of institution. Yep, take your places.
1: On the night before he died on the cross, Jesus gathered for supper with his friends. He took the bread and gave thanks for it and broke it. And he shared it with them, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, Do so in remembrance of me.
0: In the same manner after they had supped, he took the cup, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes again. Let us pray together once more. Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you that in love you have reached across the abyss of our sin to bring us once more into your loving embrace. Having thus fed us now as Christ ta- at Christ's table, send us to be his body. Through Christ our Lord we pray all these things. Amen. now as God's beloved who have been fed at Christ's table in the sure and certain knowledge that you will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace both this day and forevermore.
2: Amen.